The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. I know of an experienced marriage counselor who says, when a couple comes to me, until proven otherwise, I assume that it's his fault. <laughs> now, he doesn't just say that to be cute. His experience has taught him that because of the dynamics with how men and women work in a marriage, very often, not always, very often, the husband's attitude and the husband's behavior is the decisive element in that relationship. Maybe that's why Paul has so much to say to husbands in this text this morning. Husbands, if you're not careful, something might hit you today. It hits me. This is a hard passage for me. Very often we think of this passage as one of those that tells wives to submit to husbands. And it does. But there's a whole lot more here to men. May God graciously this morning teach us both about who we are and how we are to interact. Last week in verses 15 to 21, we addressed the fifth and final aspect of worthy walking, the walk of wisdom. But wisdom is actually more than just number five in a series of things. Remember the funnel? We saw that it's a summary, in fact. The kind of life that pleases God, the walk of unity, the walk of holiness, the walk of love, and the walk as light, all kind of is summarized in the walk of wisdom. And then that walk of wisdom can be reduced even further. How do you walk in wisdom? Well, you boil all that down, and it rests on verse 18 of chapter 5. Be continually spirit-filled. God has done much in us, and much for us as his children. He's adopted us into his family, saved us from our sin, set us on the path of wisdom, told us to walk it, and then given us the power to do so, the Spirit working in us. Christ being brought to us by the Spirit, being caused to dwell down deeply in us. Remember we connected that to Colossians, the parallel passage, the word of Christ dwelling down deeply in you. Same thing as being Spirit-filled. He does that. He causes Christ to dwell deeply in us and renovates us on the inside that our hearts would become Christ's home more and more so, day by day. And then verses 19 to 21 gave us three quick snapshots of what that would look like. 19. The continual filling of the Spirit creates a sweet atmosphere of worship here between us and between us and the Lord. And then 20. Spirit filling you creates in you an atmosphere of thankfulness always for everything, the verse says, throughout all of life, the good and the bad. And then verse 21. When the Spirit fills you, he lifts up your heart's eyes to see a magnificent, awesome, holy and sovereign God causing you to reverence Him. The word there is literally to fear to reverence Him in awe. 
What he does in 21 is that he produces in you an attitude of submission where appropriate throughout life. It's that last verse, verse 21, which is the topic sentence, if you will, for chapter 5, verse 22, all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. Through these next three weeks, we're going to look at those three sections there. We're going to see Paul address three universal areas of life, marriage, family, and work. He's going to talk about how the Spirit-filling, how that Spirit-filling makes in us an attitude of submission in these three common areas. We all end up submitting somewhere, somehow, to someone. Remember, that's what we looked at last week. That's what that verse means, that's submitting in verse 21. It doesn't mean everyone, everywhere, equally to everybody. It means commonly, in the group, some to some. If you want to talk more about that, you can talk to me later. That was last week's sermon. From, 622, from 522 to 69, Paul will be teaching about how one party submits to another in these three very common areas of life. And he will have significant things to say to those who are in the position of authority, to those who are submitted to. He has things to say to them as well. So though the spirit submission in verse 21 led to these three sections. It's really talking to all of us. All of them are. And these verses also have something to say to you, even if you don't find yourself currently in the particular relationship that's discussed. So this morning, if you happen not to be married, it's still talking to you. If you happen not to have kids or to not have a job at the moment, these sections still speak to you. You might have to think a little harder about it or or work on different ways to apply it, but there's still something here for you. you. You can't take the week off. God still wants to say things to you today. So I encourage you, please listen, stay, stay tuned, stay here with us. This morning we take up verses 22 to 33, husbands and wives, and here's the main point. You are meant to walk through marriage enthralled with another. You are meant to walk through marriage enthralled with another. To, to day by day, moment by moment, live in your marriage captivated by someone else, smitten by someone else, moment by moment, another. And tragically, too often, in blatant ways or in very subtle ways, we attempt to walk through marriage enthralled with ourselves. And also, tragically, in blatant ways and in very subtle ways, We often attempt to walk through marriage enthralled with our spouse. How many thought that the another was your spouse? No, not in this case. You're meant to walk through marriage enthralled with another, capital A, enthralled with, captivated by Christ. We're going to see that in this passage. Having Christ-captivated hearts will have significant consequences for both wives and husbands. He's going to speak to both groups. So we'll look at that today. But first, let me read the passage. I'm reading chapter 5, verse 22 to the end of the chapter. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which is printed in your bulletin. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery. It's profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Wives are addressed first in verses 22 through 24. So if your wife, this is especially for you, but even if you're not currently a wife, if you're maybe a young girl or currently a single woman and you may one day be married, this is for you. Or if you're a parent of someone who may one day be a wife. Or if you ever find yourself counseling those who may one day be wives or who are wives. Or if you're married to a wife. This is all, all of those groups. In other words, probably everybody here. This is for all of us. It has something to say to each of us about how wives are to conduct themselves in marriage. It's going to tell us here three things. What the wife is to do, why she is to do it, and then how. And I don't mean how in a, in a technical sense. Like, what's the technique? I mean, how can she find it within herself to do that? It's going to tell us what, why, and how. I'm going to try to capture that. If I can try to capture all that what, why, and how into one sentence to give you kind of a summary sentence here for the first part, it would be this. Wives, behold Christ and submit to your husbands. Wives, behold Christ and submit to your husbands. Being enthralled with another. Beholding Christ is very important if you're going to be able to obey the Lord's command to you in these verses. That's why I kind of summarize it in that sentence. Now obviously the topic of submission is coming up here. And in some ways, I have to talk about talking about submission before we actually talk about submission. Just mention that word in a lot of our culture today, and a good number of people, men and women, probably especially women, turn that off. I hear a couple, a couple women doing this. <laughs> I see a couple women doing that. Yes, that's a reaction that we often get. Well, it's here. You know, it's the S word. It's got a certain stigma to it. And I realize, I realize where some of that anger comes from, some of that frustration comes from. It comes from real abuses of this word and this concept in the past. If nobody had ever abused this, nobody would care about it. And I'm not in any, in any sense trying to say that the church or that men have always or even mostly done a good job of, of dealing with this verse or with these verses or with this word. I'm not, I'm not going to try to defend or apologize for or make an apology for 
what has come before. In many cases, many of the complaints are justified. This has been an, ab an abused topic. But still, it is the word of the Lord. It's right here in the Bible. It's not something that's just in Paul's society and has become outdated now for us. It's here. It's in several other places in the Bible. And the Lord is to be obeyed in whatsoever he commands. It's the word of the Lord to you. But beyond simple obedience, the little phrase to be obeyed in whatsoever he commands, I brought that up last week in relation to, to verse 17, where we're told to seek out the will of the Lord. Well, right here, we have the will of the Lord written down in ink on a page. We can read it. We can understand it. But when we talked about finding the will of the Lord last time, we also talked about how there is great delight in the commands of the Lord. Jesus in John 15, I give you my commands, expectation is obey them, so that my joy would be in you and your joy would be full. Jesus thinks that giving us his commands and us obeying them results in our joy. That's what Jesus thinks. I think he's right. We might have to work at figuring out how, but he can't be wrong, he can't be mistaken, and he can't be lying. So this command from the word of the Lord must result in our joy. It must result in women's joy somehow. And it comes down right to the bottom level. It comes down to a question of faith. Who do you believe? Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe God-inspired Paul? Or you to believe the non-Christian society out there? Which one is it? That's, that's the bottom level. That's the bottom level question. Jesus promises his will is good for you. And it results in your joy. So I plead with you for your joy. Not just because you have to obey. But you have to obey for your joy. So I plead with you, keep listening. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Not women submit to men. Not all wives submit to all husbands. Wife, find your husband, your own one. That's the one you submit to. There's a focus here. This verse is not prohibiting women being CEOs of major companies. It's not addressing women being the leaders of countries. It cannot be used to justify inequity in pay scales or unequal work conditions in any employment environment. It's not talking about any of those things. Don't import them into this passage, please. All this passage is saying with regards to submission is that when you entered into marriage, you entered into a different authority structure, different authority structure with one man in particular. Submit to him. But what does that mean? Well, there are a few ways we can tell what that means. Obviously, the definition of the word submit is going to be an important one. And we talked about this last week some, but I'm going to review that. There are a number of interesting interpretations out there, but really when it boils down to it, the word submit is, is quite easy to understand. To submit means to place under, to subordinate, to treat an authority figure with respect and obedience and deference. The examples in the Bible are legion. 
People submit to God. People submit to Jesus. People submit to government authorities. People submit to the law, the will of God. Demons submit to those who are casting them out. The spirit of prophets submit to prophets when they are controlled by the prophets. These are all the examples. It's, It's very easy. It's an unpopular idea, but it's commanded here in the Bible, in, in the Bible elsewhere. And at the end of the day, it's, it's quite clear. The word submit itself means to place under, to be under, to be obedient to, and to be responsive to an authority. And beyond just a dictionary definition, we have a clear example of submission in the passage itself. Look at verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also, also in this same manner, wives should submit to their husbands in everything. How does the church submit to Christ? In every area of life, in every issue. There is no subject for which the church is permitted to say, Lord, you can be Lord of that stuff over there. But over here, you can't be Lord of this. I'm, I'm going to be in charge of this one. The church can't ever say that. We're, we're never permitted to say that to him, are we? No, everything is on the table with him. We submit to him in all things. So likewise, wives to husbands. See that connection there? It's, it's right there in the verse. So also wives. Same way. Thus, you could translate it. Just like that. In the same manner. There's no area of marriage There's no area of life that is beyond this. It is in everything. Everything is on the table. The wife cannot say, I'll submit to him in some things, but in these things over here, how I spend my time over here, or what I do with this amount of money, that's uh, that's on my farm, so to speak. I'll submit to you in everything else, but not that. You, You can't do that. It's in everything. Everything is on the table. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to qualify that in a critical way. But until then, just let that sit on you as it is. The danger of running quickly to the qualification is that that feeds our natural tendency to try to get out from under it. We are, as fallen human beings, prone to say, yeah, but... So let's leave the but off for a minute and just go with the yeah. Ask yourself, look at yourself. Do you mentally approach your marriage? Do you look at it as if it's just like any other close relationship? Sure, you care for your husband. You love him and you try to help him as you can. But in the end, you're two individuals standing parallel to one another. You're in charge of your life, I'm in charge of mine. And if we can come together to be mutually helpful, great. Is that how you look at it? The scripture does not. Now I am not speaking about, hear this clearly, I'm not speaking about worth or value here. Not in any way. You are surely of equal value with your husband. Women are surely of absolutely equal value and worth with their husbands. It isn't at all about this. It's about authority. There's an authority structure here. In the Bible, authority and worth and value are entirely separate things. Not so in our society. In our society, 
Powerful people are more important people. Not so in the Bible. That's a lot of what makes this difficult to understand. Even when it's applied, often in Christian circles, we apply it more like the world would apply it. That the most important person, the husband or the leader or the pastor, is more important. No, the, he has more authority. He's not more important. Pardon me, I stumbled over my words there. That's, that's how the world thinks. The Bible sees authority and worth, value, as different things. This isn't at all about your worth or your value. We are to submit to Christ in all things, just like the church does. And here's the critical exception, the qualification. The command of verse 22 can never be set against other commands in the Bible. We could pick any that have come in previous chapters. I'll pick an easy one in chapter 4 related to, to stealing. We can't ever say, the Bible tells me not to steal, and the Bible tells me to submit to my husband, and my husband tells me to steal. That, isn't that a circle? No, there's, there's a chain of authority here. And whenever two authorities conflict, the Bible says, don't steal, my husband says, steal. Well, who's the higher authority there? The Bible, obviously. He can't use the Bible to tell you to break the Bible's authority. And that's important to realize. Because fallen human beings will do immoral or illegal things. And fallen human beings will tell you to do immoral or illegal things. So the final authority can never be your husband. The final authority is the one who gave him authority. The Lord. The Lord is to be obeyed in all things whatsoever he commands. And if your husband ever tells you to disobey him, don't obey your husband. Obey the Lord. That's what, that's what Peter's saying in, in Acts, I think it's chapter 5, where the authorities tell him, okay, you can go, but don't preach Christ. And they say, yeah, judge for yourselves whether we should obey men or God. The obvious point is, I am submitted to human authority until it tells me to not obey divine authority. And then you judge for yourselves, which I should follow. Same here. Don't obey human authority if it tells you to break divine authority. That's the critical qualification. Now, there's a lot that I could say about that, and, and certainly a number of, of, of particular cases or instances come to mind that could all be talked about and addressed. Under the time for that now, I'm just going to have to limit a couple, my, my remarks here to two brief things. Two brief words of caution. Do not think that this verse about submission means that you should not call the police when a law has been broken or you are in danger. Submit to your husband does not mean, does not mean that spousal abuse is all right, or good, or unfortunate to be tolerated, and I guess God will give me joy in the midst of the abuse. Isn't that what Pastor just said? No. God will deal with your heart and, and give you joy in that relationship, but you can call the police and should. If he's breaking the law, if you are in danger, call the police and tell somebody first word of caution here. This has often, historically, often been used to tell the wife to just put up with things, even as extreme as physical abuse. I'm not saying that. The Bible's not saying that. 
Additionally, this command to submit does not go away if your husband is not nice to you, or even if he does something as extreme as, as abuse. Little example here. You can call the police and send your husband to jail for beating you and still maintain the overall attitude of submission. You can say, you are still the head of this family. But I need to protect myself and my children, and I need to help you become who you are supposed to be. I'm not cutting and running from this. I'm still submitted to you in overall attitude, but this right here is illegal and dangerous. And God has established the authority to stop that. Romans 13. Now how you work those two things together is complicated. All I've done is just state them, and lots of questions could come to mind here. I'm going to leave all that. Talk to me later if you have specific questions. If you want to talk about this further, if you want to talk to me further in private, you can do that as well. That, though, is what submission is. It's the response to an authority that does not change your value or your worth and doesn't justify any criminal or immoral behavior on your spouse's part. It's what it is. Now, briefly, why? Why submit? I'll pass over this kind of quickly. For, here comes the reason in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Wives are to submit to husbands because the husband is the head of the wife. He's the head, the authority, just like Christ is the head of the church. He's our authority. He's the one who is in charge of us, who controls us. He has had all things placed under his feet and has been given his head over all things to the church, his body, says chapter 1. That's what head means. Authority. That's the why. Wives are to submit to their husbands because in creation, in how God made us, he determined to bring us together and he knew that in a relationship like this, Somebody would have to be in charge. The buck would have to stop somewhere. And so he gave to the marriage an authority, a head. And the body is the wife. Nothing to do with value or worth. That's how he made us. We can see this in several different ways back in Genesis 2. Who did he make first? Adam. Who did he give the right to name and to rule over all the creation? Adam. And then he made Eve and brought her to Adam and said, Here is a helpmate for you, suitable. And Adam named her too. Adam is acting as head before the fall and after the fall. When did the curse come? When Eve ate? When Adam ate. Who did God come looking for in the garden? Adam. Who does Romans 5 say brought the curse into the world? Eve, who ate first? No. Adam. Adam is the head. The buck stops with Adam. In that case, it tragically stopped with Adam. He's given, as a, he's given the husband as the head over the family. That's what he has done. And that's where Paul roots the command to submit because for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. But how do you do that? That's kind of a tall order. This is kind of where it comes down to brass tacks, I think. Because submitting to Christ, who's perfect and holy, always righteous, never does anything immoral or illegal, is one thing. 
that submitting to that fallen human being is another. And I don't know about all the other men out here, but I look at my own life, and I have been known to be a fool, to be mean-spirited and selfish. I haven't been as bad as men can be, but that's a small compliment. It's tough to think about applying this. How does that happen? How can that be done? This is what brings us right back to the main point. You were meant to walk through marriage enthralled with another, with Christ. Remember where submission comes from, verse 21. It is the result of the continual filling of the Spirit. It grows up in you when the Spirit takes the majesty and the security and the protecting and providing power of Jesus and holds it up in front of your eyes in such a way that you are changed, that you are gripped by some truth. And what results in you is reverence, fear of Him, awe. And you see Him, and through Him you look at everything else. You're captivated by something. You know what it's like to walk through life with your mind fixed on one thing while you walk through the day. This happens when you think about something great that's going to happen tonight, if you're going to go on a date, or you're going to go to a ball game, or something like that. And you walk through the day, looking at all the things that are happening, but you've got a positive attitude because you're thinking about this other thing. That's just human stuff. That's the temporary fun of a, of a basketball game. What is meant to happen is that all through life, everything that happens to us is supposed to be seen through Christ. We're supposed to wear goggles all the time, if you will. And it's not just a perspective change, it's an internal change. It, you know, if the ball game was canceled, then I suddenly might become depressed. Now my day is going to be a bad day. But Christ is never going to get canceled. He's never going to go away. He's never going to stop providing for you. He's never going to not be God to you. Always. He changes you on the inside to give you more faith, more trust, more love, more joy in Him. So the Spirit means to do. That's how you can find it within yourself to submit to this man. Is that you're ultimately submitted to a God who takes care of you and who has promised to be for you all that you need and more. Promised to fill your heart and your life with what you really need, Him. That's how this happens. You give the Spirit the keys to your heart. You give Him the tools and He renovates you on the inside. Behold Christ, wives. And submit to your husbands. And we come to the men. Walking through marriage enthralled with another means something for husbands too. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. The Lord's command to you. Interestingly, it is not rule over, lead, or whatever. It's not the exact opposite of the other one. Husbands, love your wives. The Lord's command to you. And to those who will one day be husbands, and to those who counsel husbands, and to those who are raising future husbands. I love my wife, says Joe Husband. I told her that when we got married 20 years ago. I never took it back, so of course I still love her. Heard that right. That's not what's in view here. 
in such an atmosphere, this command does not seem nearly as difficult as what was just laid on the wives, does it? Wives have to submit and husbands just have to love? Well, that's pretty easy. Sounds pretty easy right up until you bring the cross into it. Jaded, tired, emotional love is not the goal here, this verse. In fact, passionate, romantic, emotional love isn't the goal here either. Sacrificing, self-denying, other-centered, dying love is the goal, is the command. That's what's meant here. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Like Christ loved the church. The church. Not just everybody in general. He has some love for everybody in general. He has unique particular love for the church and there is nothing else in view here in this verse other than the people of God Christ's body Christ's bride towards us he has had this vast long wide high and deep love a love that reaches back into eternity past when God the Father loved the elect in Christ and predestined each of us individually chapter 1 for adoption as sons sons and daughters a bride for his son, the Lord Jesus. To be clear about this, God had no need of us. The son did not need a bride. He didn't need us as friends, as brothers, as servants. He didn't need us at all. The one true triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. This God eternally dwells in unapproachable light, happy in himself forever. Three, together, one, happy, full of joy, no need. Together, these three had the sweetest of communions, complete with themselves in the fullest of joys. They had no need for us. Neither the Father, nor the Son, nor the Spirit, the one God, did not need servants didn't need a bride. The son did not seek a bride out of need. He never knew lack. He has never been incomplete. He has never been empty or dissatisfied. He has no hole in his heart that needs to be filled with a companion. But still, he made us and remade us for a reason. In his vast wisdom, our great God, the only God there is, determined to spread this full joy. But he had in himself, he determined to spread this full joy, to display his wonder, and to share his fellowship with some. He decided to do that, to manifest, to make known, that's what the word manifest means, to manifest his multifaceted glory. And so he made all of the creation and he in particular made human beings image bearers of his, uniquely able to relate to him as persons, to experience him as a person. He made us, what a privilege, opportunity to engage with him and experience him. But left to ourselves, we never would have experienced this. Never. Left to ourselves, you and I would never know the privilege of being what we were meant to be. Human partners with Him. Companions with Him. 
servants of him, a bride to him even. We fell into sin, marred and dirty and twisted. It's who we are. Think of someone who's fallen into a mud puddle and has gotten all dirty and wrinkled their clothes, cut up and bruised. It's who we are. It's who we were. Rebels worthy of wrath, not co-partakers in glory. Not capable of sharing in that relationship that God had with himself. Not capable. God's plan was thwarted. Thwarted? No. Christ was determined to gain for himself a pure, spotless bride. And to gain for us the joys of being in fellowship with him. And having communion with him to his great glory and our eternal blessing. We saw this back in the beginning chapters of the book. How God worked out that plan on individuals in particular. And it's, we see it right here presented to us again. His church, he's acquiring for himself a bride, pure and spotless and cleaned. There in verse 27. You know all of this. You've heard it before. I'm just singing out to you the gospel. It's not new. The word that washes you and makes you clean, I'm reminding you of how that happened. The good news of God's intent to purify His children of all sin and filth and wickedness. Thank God for this. Literally, thank God for it. Don't let it grow old on you. Don't let it become stale. He saw us in our rebellion, in our need, and He did not give up His good intention of claiming us. He saw us running away from Him, and He still intended to make us what we were to be. He strongly provoked Him, but He did still more. He determined to make us clean, to save us for Himself, to bless us with holiness, and to share in His eternal happiness. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it's like to be invited to heaven and then fit to go there? It's hard. I have a hard time picturing it myself, but it's worth thinking about and wrestling with. What is it like to be there? And to know that you didn't earn it. You couldn't ever get there yourself. But because of the determination of Christ to take you there, you're going. He went to the cross for our good. To accomplish all of that, he went to the cross for our good. In that way, Christ loved the church. Verse 28, in this same way, husbands should love their wives. None of this, sure I love her, I told her 20 years ago. Prove it with your blood, husband. It might sound a little dramatic, like it belongs in a movie or a book. Husband lays down life to save wife and kids, or women and children into the lifeboats first while the ship goes down. And it is a little dramatic, and maybe that's one way to apply this, but it's not by any stretch the most common way. And if it's all that we think of, we run the risk of never ac accurately bringing this home to our ordinary life, the day-in, day-out stuff. The point here is not, Christ physically died for the church, husbands should be willing to physically die for their wives if that ever happens. That's not the point. Right? The point is, 
and think about what I was just recounting about the heart of the gospel. About God's intent for his people who didn't cling to him, but in determination, he did for them what they needed. Think about that. Here's the main point of what that's trying to show, and I'll say this slowly. He did what we most needed to enable us to become what we were most fully meant to be. It's a long sentence, I'll repeat that. He did what we most needed to enable us to become what we were most fully meant to be. We were most fully meant to be communers with the eternal God forever and ever. Glorifying Him and enjoying Him forever. That's what we were most fully meant to be. And sin wrecked it all. And so Christ did what we most needed to make that come back to reality. He came and He dealt with sin. That's why He went to the cross. Husbands then should approach your wife and love her in that same way. Love her by living as one dying to yourself. Looking for, figuring out what she most needs you to do. For her to become what she is most meant to be. Not what you want her to be. What the Lord wants her to be. Not what is convenient for you. Not what is helpful to you. Not what comes easy or naturally. Dying to yourself and what you want. So as to find out and do what she most needs to become what she is most meant to be. That's how we are to love our wives, men. That's convicting for me. I almost never think like that. Sometimes I do. Rarely. I rarely think through, like, physically what I could do that would help her to become what she is most meant to be. I a little more often think through spiritually what I need to do for her to become what she is most meant to do. Those things may well overlap. Maybe I just need to take the kids so that she can go off and have some time to read her Bible and pray. Maybe that's what your wife needs. Maybe it's other things. The, the applications of this are endless. The overarching principle, though, is we approach, we often approach life thinking about number one. And it seems like if we read 22 to 24, that number two was just told to serve number one. Great. Perfect. This is why I like the Bible. Think many husbands. In fact, authority has been given to you so that you have the means to do whatever needs to be done to enable her to become what she is most fully meant to be. That's what you've been put in charge so that you can have the ability to serve her. That's what loving her looks like. That's what you're being called to do, moment by moment, day after day. Love her like Christ loved the church. That's what you're being called to, commanded to do, actually. We understand the command back in 22 to 24. 
we'd get that one. Historically, we've gotten that one maybe a little too well. It served us well to pass on into 25 and following and see the command here to love your wives in this way. Do you see it? It's in 25. It's again in 33. And it's repeated also in 28 when it says you are obligated to act this way. Three times he says this to you. Wives to submit to your husbands, yes, but husbands love your wives. You don't have the option. You're to do it, whether she submits to you or not, regardless. You're being called to do, told to do. But more than just the command, it's the same thing as with the wives. More than just the command, there's an enticement here. If you look at the second half of verse 28... Get this connection back to verse 17 again and what we saw there about the delights in that verse. Right after the part about your obligation, in the same way husbands should, are obligated to, love their wives, right after that phrase, another interesting thread begins to emerge. Think about this. When you're hungry, what do you do? Eat. When you're tired, what do you do? In some way you start looking for rest or sleep. When you have a headache, do any of us reach for the Tylenol? When you're cold or you're hot, does anybody here change their clothes or reach for the thermostat? Of course. Naturally. Really thoughtlessly we do it. It's, it's automatic. Why? Because it's to our obvious benefit to do so. We're uncomfortable. We change it. We constantly live in ways that benefit us. Without thinking benefit our bodies in particular. Well, the same goes for caring for your wife. You're commanded to give yourself up for your wife in sacrificial love, and you are assured here that doing so is to your ultimate benefit. It says right there, he who loves his wife loves himself. The assumption is that we like to love ourselves, therefore we should love our wives. It will produce great benefit in your marriage if you love your wife like this. The odds are that your relationship will grow, that she'll even find it easier to submit to you. The odds are that it will improve. Maybe not. That's what the odds are, though. What if it doesn't? Well, I have this to say to you. It is always to your benefit to obey the Lord and to rely on Him. And trust Him. What you acquire, maybe you don't acquire a better relationship with your wife. Maybe she's hardened toward you. Maybe she's not a believer. Who knows? But you do acquire a better relationship with the Lord when you can say to Him, I am spotless here, Lord. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I'm doing it in Your power. The results I leave up to You. But I will, Lord, continue to love her as You have loved the church. He'll come to You, and He'll fellowship with You. You acquire a blessed relationship with Him here, and you store up blessings for yourself in heaven in the future. It is always to your benefit to obey the Lord, moment by moment, consistently. I want to ask the question here, how? How do you do that? This is what brings us back to the main point. Beholding Christ so that you can love your wives, or living enthralled with another. 
What has Paul done here? Look at Paul's technique. Again, in 25 and 26 and 27, and then in 29 and 30, and again back in 32, he keeps coming back to the gospel and to Christ. And what Christ has done. He could have just said, love your wives. That would have been enough. But he gives us a model as to what that looks like. It looks like how Christ loved the church. And then he sings to us what all Christ's love for us has done. How it cleansed us. Made us spotless, pure and holy before him. And then he reminds us that Christ nourishes and cherishes you. He reminds you of these things to put something onto your mind. To give the Spirit tools, if you will. To change you, to renovate you. Keeps bringing these sorts of things up all the time. Behold Christ, husband. That's how you find it within yourself to love your wives sacrificially. Laying down your life for her day by day. It's the same thing in the end that motivates both. You're meant to walk through marriage thralled with another, Christ. That's how you do it. You look at Him. So stay out of the marriage counselor's office entirely. Follow them, what Paul says here. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Okay. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.